0: All right, so we're going to be uh, finishing Ephesians up soon. Uh, three weeks, three Sundays, including this Sunday, um, from today. And I know some of you are saying amen, and I'll say it again, that's sin. And. <laughs> I've really loved Ephesians. I've really enjoyed being in Ephesians. I think there's just incredibly rich truths about who God is and and then uh, incredibly rich truths about how do we live that out? How do we apply that to our hearts? How do we be uh, uh, um, Jesus uh, in our worlds? And so we're going to be finishing Ephesians up. And uh, today, though, Paul uh, tackles one of the last big topics he's going to tackle in Ephesians and its spiritual warfare. So um, yes, we are a church that's going to talk about spiritual warfare. Easy, light topic, no debate around it, and no one gets weird about it um, ever in America. And so, uh, so when it comes to spiritual warfare, I think we kind of have two categories of people in the church. And I think there's kind of this First category of people that I'm going to call uh, the demonologist, okay? So this category of people in the church, when it comes to spiritual warfare, uh, they're demonologists. They know so much about demons. Like, they know their names. They know their ranks. They know where they live. Like, they know so much about demons. And, and, and for them, everything is spiritual warfare. Everything, the, the room feels cold. That's an evil spirit, Right? Anthony says the word mentor. Don't say that because there's dementors, Anthony, in Harry Potter. (laughs) Everything, you lose your shoes, it's the devil. Or a a Sunday school teacher takes a Snickers bar away from you and they're Satan. That's only funny if you were here last week from Vince's message. And so even I experienced this sometimes, uh, well, at least once in a big way as a Christian. Me and my buddy Dan, we were on a mission trip, and uh, during spring break, and we were out on the beach somewhere, and we were playing Ultimate Frisbee, and my buddy Dan, he already has feet issues, but he decided that day to wear these uh, skater shoes that have, like, no support whatsoever, They're just completely flat, and then we're playing Ultimate Frisbee all afternoon, and his feet just get jacked up and he's just kind of like debilitated for the rest of the trip and he's crutching, but he can't use both of his feet, so he's kind of just like hoping for the best with these crutches. And so um he he just messed his feet up because he made bad decisions about running in flat-footed shoes in the sand. But as he was telling people what, what on this mission trip, what happened to him, every single person to a T was going, spiritual warfare, am I right? And Dan be like, No. I just ran on the beach for three hours in flat shoes with no support. They'd be like, thats I mean, that sounds like spiritual warfare. <laughs> like, and so that's kind of this realm. It's like the demonologist realm, okay? I Honestly, though, I think the demonologist in the church is, is, a, is a growing minority of people. Like, not that many people think everything is spiritual warfare. I think more people are kind of over here, and I almost fell off the stage, spiritual warfare. Um... <laughs> And there's more people kind of over in this realm, and they're the skeptics. They're skeptical of any sort of spiritual warfare um, going on. And if I'm honest, this is kind of where I am. Like often if someone tells me something that they think is spiritual warfare or something they thought was going on, I often go, ah, man, it's... a bummer you're so superstitious like that's what's going on in my head like I honestly think that if there was like a a 12 year old girl floating in front of me speaking Latin I might just say man kids these days with their technology and Latin and you know and so I think some of us are are just a little bit more skeptical when it comes to spiritual warfare and so each uh, there's a quote that sums this um, kind of dynamic up in the church well, and, and pastors, when they preach on spiritual warfare, they're required by law to read this quote. And so this quote is by C.S. Lewis. It's in his preface in the book, The Screwtape Letters, and he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to fill an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils and demons, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And so here's my hope for today, is that we don't um, let ourselves um, be on one side of the pendulum. I think too often as Christians, we just pick a side of the pendulum instead of look to what is Scripture really saying. And so my hope for today is that we would look at Ephesians and we would see what Paul is teaching us about spiritual warfare. And that's what we would believe about spiritual warfare. And then I'm going to draw upon uh, other uh, sources in the Bible uh, to help um, flesh out uh, our thinking around spiritual warfare. Warfare. Okay, and so today we're going to see that spiritual warfare is happening, and then Paul is going to tell us how we can stand against it. So please, those that are over here, don't get too weirded out. Um, But it is in the Bible, so we're going to talk about. So Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to be in verse ten. We're going to be in ten through uh, eighteen, maybe half of eighteen today. Um, But right now, we're just going to read through ten through twelve, and it says this. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, Paul, as he's wrapping this letter up, He says, find your strength in God because he is strong. This has been a theme uh, throughout Ephesians, that God is mighty and strong and that we should find our strength in him. And so Paul says, do that because the devil has all sorts of schemes that he's working against you. And then he says, not only is the devil doing it, but so are all these cosmic powers and rulers and authorities and spiritual forces of evil and and most theologians think paul isn't talking about actual in our world uh powers and authorities he's talking about uh, probably demons and spiritual forces uh, which i think are probably demons that are working with the devil to hurt the church and so for Paul, spiritual warfare was real. He even says, hey, I know, I think he's trying to try to say, hey, I know it seems like what physical, what's happening here is, is all that matters, but there is a spiritual battle happening as well, and we need to be aware of it as Christians. And so I want to break down these verses a little bit more to, to see what it's saying to help, uh, help us know more about spiritual warfare and help us understand what Paul is saying too. Um, the first thing is the Bible says, and Paul thinks, and I think every New Testament author, that the devil is real. The devil is real. There is a real enemy of God who wants to thwart all that God is doing. It's not just an idea, it's not just superstition. There is a real spiritual being referred to as the devil, and I believe that he's real. Um, it kind of leads us to go, like, who is the devil? And there's these different words throughout the Bible used for the devil, and so there's been some confusion there. But John, in Revelation, he clears it up for us. In, in, In Revelation 12, 9, he simply says something like, the devil, who is Satan, just to clear it up for us. And then also in Revelation 20, he interchangeably uses the devil and Satan to refer to the same being. Okay, And so we believe that the devil is real. And so who is this guy? Well, I think Revelation also helps us understand who the devil is as well. and um, Because Revelation constantly refers to the devil as that ancient serpent. That ancient serpent. Over and over again, John refers to Satan as that ancient serpent. Now, the Bible is one story that goes together. And there is only one ancient st- serpent in this story. And it's the serpent in Genesis at the beginning that tempts Adam and Eve to sin. And I know that story is hard to understand and it's hard to make sense of. And it's like, why did he call him serpent in that story? And then Satan over here. And here's my answer. I don't know. Okay, but we can know that that ancient serpent is the devil, is Satan. And the Bible, the authors of the Bible and the, the church believes that the devil is real. So Paul also thinks that the devil wants to thwart all that God is doing. It seems like that is the, the devil's prerogative or what he's trying to do. He's trying to, um, anything that God has touched, anything that God has made, the devil wants to thwart that. The devil wants to hurt that. The devil wants to combat against that. And so he has all kinds of schemes in which he does this. And I think that's why um, sometimes in the West, in America, or even here, um, we might not see, like, see these active movements of the devil because he has different kinds of schemes. But if you talk to people from other countries, they'd be seeing that little girl float and speak in Latin. And I don't know why that the devil works that way or has these different schemes, but it's because he wants to thwart what God is doing and he is employing all of these different schemes against humankind and against the saints, which is the Christians in particular. Not only that, it says that he has help. So it's not just the devil, Roman... Uh, the earth and, 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 and doing this, he, he, the story that you, you can piece together throughout parts of the Bible is that the devil was an angel that rebelled against God. But he brought all these other angels with him, and God cast them out away from him, and they became uh, Satan, and then uh, the, the angels became demons. And so these um, beings are all together working to thwart what God is doing, okay? Okay. So, um, it kind of leads us to this question, like, how is it that these evil spiritual beings, um, how is it even possible that they can affect us? And and I think it's interesting how it says there um, that they exist in the heavenly places. So don't hear that as heaven where God is, but really what Paul is trying to say is they exist in the spiritual realm. And even if you go throughout the Old Testament, Daniel in particular, you'll see kind of this picture. And it's a weird picture, but it looks as if the spiritual realm is kind of operating alongside our realm at the same time. I don't know if they are kind of joined and it's like there's like a demon right here or something. But I don't know how that exactly works. But these, uh, the devil and these demons live in the spiritual realm. And so the reason I think that they can affect us it's because God, when he created humanity, when he made us, he didn't just give us a physical nature. Although our physical nature is really important, and I think the church forgets that. Like, who this body that you have is the one that God wants you to have. Sure, he's going to resurrect it and redeem it one day. But, but that's part of who you are. But there's also a part of you that is the spiritual component of who you are, the soul um, uh, inside of you. And humans, we're not one thing or the other. We're not just a soul. We're not just a body. God has fused these things together. That's why he's going to resurrect us one day, and we're not just going to be like ghosts or something, okay? And so uh, because we have this uh, spiritual component to us, I think that's the way that, that the devil and these uh, other evil spiritual beings um, interact with us. I think they somehow, and maybe that's a little bit too weird, but they somehow have access to this spiritual component uh, of us, and they have some sort of power, and so they they use that power for evil and, and try to um, oppress us and really just thwart what God is doing. And so here's what I want to do for the rest of the sermon is I want to um, paint with with broad strokes five things that I think Five things that Satan does to attack humanity and the church in particular. Five broad strokes. And so, these we're going to see all of these things throughout scripture. I'm not going to get heavy into, like, um, what happens if you play with a Ouija board or something like that. I'm not going to get heavy into that because we could spend like 75 hours talking on that kind of stuff. But there's these five broad strokes that I want to talk about um, that I think how or how Satan attacks. Uh, the church and humankind, I think. And then what we're going to see in the rest of the text is, is what Paul tells us and how Paul tells us to withstand those things, okay? So that's the rest of the sermon. So um, before I get into these five uh, kind of broad categories of what Satan does to work against us, um, just to note. I want you guys, and I think Paul did, and I stole this from a pastor uh, at Redemption Tempe, uh, I want you to be aware but not afraid, so even now, you might be getting a little freaked out that there's these evil um, demons and, and Satan working against you. And, the, and that's what the Bible talks about. But, but the posture that Paul, I think, wants us to have is one that we're, we're aware that this is going on, but we don't have to be afraid. Remember, Paul started off saying, find your strength in the Lord's strength. God is stronger than Satan or any demon." And so just know that as we talk about this, you might start to get freaked out, but um, uh, just wait a few minutes and we'll we'll talk about some of what God gives us in order to combat those things. And we don't need to be freaked out because we can just be aware of what's going on. So uh, the first thing that I think Satan does and how he operates and how he attacks the church and how he attacks humankind even is uh, I think he wants to deceive us. He wants to deceive us. Okay, in the Bible, we see this with Adam and Eve. When the serpent, when that ancient serpent, when Satan is talking to Adam and Eve, um, he's really just deceiving them. He's like, did God really say that? Well, guess what? If you eat the fruit, you'll become like God. And he says all of these things to deceive them. And, so, uh, and then also Revelation, um, the book of Revelation, constantly calls Satan a liar and a deceiver. And so I think the way, part of the way that, that Satan wages spiritual warfare towards us is by trying to deceive us. Um, he wants you to think God isn't real. He, he, or he wants you to think the betrayal of him in the word is inaccurate or incomplete or something like that. Or he wants to convince you that you don't really know him. And I think what we see, I, I feel like I see this a lot in, in my friend group, uh, is he wants to convince us that, that you don't need God. You can figure out life without God. Sin is not that serious. You don't need to be saved. That you, can, that you can figure it out and you can even get to God one day by just trying your best. I think that's a big way that Satan tries to deceive us. And so I think a lot of the work that happens in spiritual warfare against us is in deception. And so any time in those moments where you're beginning to be deceived or maybe the Christian community around you is saying, hey, that's deceptive, that's not correct, that's not who God is, that's not right, I think it's important to ask yourself the question, maybe this is some sort of, or or, or to think through, maybe this is some sort of spiritual warfare happening. I don't know. Again, I don't know how it works. Maybe the, maybe the devil or demons can pop thoughts into our heads. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to claim to know, but I just know that it does happen. And so that's the first way Satan wants to deceive us. The next uh, area I see Satan working in uh, is temptation. Okay? In the Bible, uh, obviously, the, the, it, at the start of where sin began, Satan was tempting Eve to sin. He was tempting, tempting Eve to not do what God had commanded them to do. And then we see even Satan um, tempting Jesus in the desert three times. Um, and then even in Corinthians, when it's talking about husbands and wives um, uh, chasing after purity and, and having a, a good sort of life that I won't say in front of the kids, uh, he says that Satan comes in and tries to tempt husbands and wives out of that. And so Satan works in temptation. I think this is why he works in temptation is because when he tempts us into sin, he's not just tempting us to do like, it's not like God has this like, here's the naughty list and don't do all these things on the naughty list. What he's tempting us to do is live contrary to how God created us. Okay, so God created us to obey him. God created us to reflect who he is. And so, yes, there is a list of things we probably shouldn't do, but those lists are rooted in our true humanity. They're rooted in who God is and his character. And so Satan is tempting us to live contrary to that. Again, trying to thwart all that God has done in creating humankind. And so in our lives, I think how that looks is any time, I think especially that all of a sudden, just randomly, there's this opportunity to sin that's just kind of in your path out of nowhere. Maybe it's something you struggle with. Maybe it's something you've never struggled with. But there's just this opportunity all of a sudden, and you even begin to feel your heart drawn that direction. It feels like there's there's bait on a lure that, 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 someone, that someone is pulling and trying to get you to chase and so I think a lot of times that's the way Satan tempts us. What's sad about Satan's temptation is I think it often gets to this point where he uh, he convinces us things that are evil are not evil. He convinces us to just keep living that way. You have all these good reasons. Look at all these good reasons for why you're living that way but God himself will go that is evil. That is wrong. And so we have to understand that sometimes when our hearts are drawn in a direction, not all the time because we have sinful hearts, but sometimes it's Satan trying to thwart God's good uh, creation by getting them to live contrary to their true humanity. Um, another, time, another way, another area that I see Satan working is through Oppression. And when I say oppression, I mean he does actual physical things to us. And this is probably the stuff that that freaks people out the most. In the Bible, uh, we see this with Job. He hurts Job and kills some of Job's family. does all these kinds of things that are just horrible. Um, We see this in the Gospels where... Um, time and time again, people are afflicted and they're in pain and they're going through certain things. And uh, in those moments, it's a direct correlation to what Satan is doing. And so hear me, I'm not saying all physical maladies are Satan or demons, but I'm saying some, and it's probably very few, but some physical maladies and, and, and problems are, are attributed in the Gospels by Jesus and the New Testament writers to um, demons. Um, Another part, like kind of a subcategory in oppression, is possession. Like, there's this weird thing we see throughout the New Testament, and some of you maybe even have seen this in real life. I never have, but where um, demons or Satan can kind of like enter us and control some of our faculties, if not all of our faculties, and where possessed. This is kind of what the movie The Exorcist is based off of, and this is where we see uh, like legion um, in the Bible, and Jesus casting out um, a, a whole legion of demons. And I want to say this about possession, is if you're a Christian, you can't be possessed. I think there's this, I've heard different strands of Christianity try to claim that as a Christian, you can be possessed by a demon. And it just doesn't make sense to me because Christians, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Ain't no demon going to be able to kick out the Holy Spirit, all right? That's how you got to talk when you're talking about spiritual warfare, all right? No demon can kick out the Holy Spirit. And so don't buy into that lie. Or if there's some people around you talking about these things in weird ways, saying, yes, you can get possessed as a Christian, I would say, no, you can't because of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And so uh, in our lives, uh, these different things, these different sort of oppressions, except for possession for Christians, they, they can happen sometimes. And so sometimes when we're experiencing something physical or sickness or whatever it might be, sometimes it, it is the devil. It is spiritual warfare. It is a, a demon or something like that. Sometimes. All right? The next way I see Satan working is he accuses. Um, He accuses. So we see this in Zechariah 3, where God is uh, ordaining this high priest, Joshua. And Satan comes up and uh, and begins to accuse Joshua. And it seems like God says, no, 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 you cannot accuse this man that I've chosen to be a high priest. In fact, I'm going to give him new, clean garments that come from me. And you can't accuse him, Satan, because I am making him righteous. Um, We see in Revelation, uh, he's just referred to time and time again as the accuser. So in our lives, how I think this works and how Satan attacks us in this is, um, I think it's often when you get this thought in your head or this feeling or whatever it might be that you're not good enough to be a Christian. That, that there's just something about you where you just don't deserve to be a Christian. Before we talk about the armor of God, listen, none of us deserve to be a Christian. That's the whole point of this thing. Jesus has given us what we don't deserve. But I think when it comes to spiritual warfare, often our sin will weigh heavily on us, where we'll feel this immense amount of guilt or constantly... And, and I don't mean in an appropriate way. There's an appropriate level uh, uh, to, to be grievous of your own sin. But there's then a, a level where even the Christian community around you is going, hey, you are thinking way too deeply about that. You're letting that come into your life too deeply. And I, I wonder if sometimes that's uh, the accuser working, saying working to accuse us and convince us that the gospel is not for us when it is for everyone. All right so Satan accuses. The next thing that I see Satan doing is the last thing, the fifth thing is Satan loves to divide. In the Bible we see this, right? Right it, what Satan did in the garden divided in so many ways. It divided human relationship with God. It divided human relationship with each other. We can just you just go to Thanksgiving and you experience that. It divided our, uh, our relationship with creation, where we just can't um, care for creation in the same way that I think we could before sin. And so Satan is divisive, and he loves to divide because it thwarts, again, the sort of unity and harmony that God has built into his world. And so he wants, in our lives, how this looks is he just wants all of us divided, Satan truly wants all of us divided. He wants every sort of uh, human relationship. He wants every family. He wants every human institution divided. I think it's no mistake that throughout history, we often see division, and it's often over the dumbest stuff that people are just like, no, I can't eat with you. No, I can't live with you over stuff that is just dumb. Like we see this in Ephesians. Like they were like you're not circumcised, I can't be with you. Like that's just crazy. And time and time again, I think that is spiritual warfare. I think that's Satan working to divide the unity and harmony that God originally created. And so, I think Satan works in all these sorts of ways. He he accuses, he divides, he tempts, he deceives, he oppresses. And I want us again to be aware but not afraid, because Paul tells us why we don't have to be afraid and how we can withstand these sort of attacks in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So we can be aware of spiritual warfare But we don't have to be afraid because, friends, we have the armor of God, the the very armor of God. Isaiah, uh, all throughout the book of Isaiah, this prophet Isaiah talks about this Messiah who's going to come and he's going to save us. And often when he describes uh, this Messiah, he describes the different sort of armor that this Messiah is wearing. And we're going to see that Paul references a lot of those same pieces of armor. And so Paul says to us, even though spiritual warfare is happening, guess what? You have Jesus who has given you his armor. He has given you the armor that he carried into creation to renew all things. So you can put on Jesus' armor. You can look to him for strength. When spiritual warfare is happening to you, you have Jesus. So even though we have Jesus, there's also this component of us being active in seeking that active in putting on the armor. We have an active faith that although God is doing everything we need to be saved and although he is the one protecting us from spiritual warfare, there is this kind of active relationship that we have with God in which, uh, in this case, we put on the armor of God and we look to put on the armor that Jesus secured for us. Okay, so let's read through verses 14 through 17 to see the armor that God gives us. He says this, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take this helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, pr- praying at all times in the spirit. So this is what I want to do. I want to go through this armor of God, and I want to look at it, and I want to talk about how we can actively put it on, put it on But I also want to want to show how the different components of this armor seem to battle against what Satan is trying to do to the saints. Okay, so the first thing Satan says is to put on the belt of truth, that we are to put on truth. We are to put on truth. Truth is really just reality. It's what's real. And, and, and God and Jesus claim, hey, I am the truth. I have given you truth. I am truth. Here is truth for you. And so when we as believers have Jesus, we have truth we can look to what's true and what's right i think too often we get these itching ears as humans and we look to put on falsehood we look to put on the belt or maybe the sweatpants of lies or something like that like because it's just easier it's just easier to believe lies Sometimes some of God's truth is hard for us because we're rebellious and we have sin and Satan is also deceiving us. And the way to combat against that is to put on truth, is to know truth, is to look at God's word and know his truth. And so anytime you begin to get deceived or anytime truth begins to be difficult for you, I encourage you to pray in the spirit as it says at the end there. Pray that God would help reveal that truth to you more meaningfully or look for the Christian community around you and what they say about those sorts of things. You don't have to always wear the sweatpants of deception. All right? Run to truth instead. Next, uh, the next thing Paul says that God gives us is the breastplate of righteousness, of righteousness. Uh, one of my favorite um, ideas that, that from the gospel is that Jesus has given us his righteousness. If you want a theological word, it's, it, they call it imputation a lot, theologians do. It's this idea that you and I, we are not righteous on our own. We can't really be righteous on our own. So Jesus came, showed us what righteousness looked like and how it was a part of his character as God, and he now gives us his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness, which I think actually frees us to begin to live righteously and follow Jesus and try uh, to live as Jesus did. So the, I think the breastplate of righteousness, it protects us from Satan's accusations. So we, when we begin to reflect and pray and think through the idea that Jesus has given us all our righteousness, when Satan comes to accuse and says, hey, you're not good enough, you can't get to God on your own, you could go, you are right? But Jesus gave me his righteousness, buddy, so I get to be with Jesus in eternity one day. That's what the breastplate of righteousness does. That's how it battles against the accusations of the devil. <clears throat> the next thing uh, that uh, Paul says is in, in the armor of God is shoes that bring the gospel of Peace. So the sort of shoes that Jesus uh, has given us are shoes that proclaim the good news of of God's peace. The good news of peace. I love, I think one of my favorite pictures of peace in the Bible is when Jesus is in the boat sleeping and there's a storm coming and his disciples are freaking out, thinking they're all going to die, and they wake him up, and Jesus is like, why are you waking me up? And he just looks at the storm and he says, peace, be still. Peace, be still. The good news of the gospel is that the gospel brings stillness and peace where there's chaos and pain and destruction. That storm was, in my opinion, sinfully influenced. It was broken by the sins of the world, and so that's why that storm was happening. But Jesus brought peace to it. And so when we put on the, the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, there I think it, it really looks like preaching the gospel to our hearts in those situations where we want to wear the sweatpants of deception or whatever it might be, that we would instead preach the gospel to our, our hearts. And think about putting on shoes. Putting on shoes is one of my least favorite parts of my day because it just takes too much effort. Um, and so I think that might have been intentional by Paul to say, hey, with the gospel... You need to be intentional about thinking about it, about reflecting on it, about applying it to yourself, and that is going to battle against Satan whenever he is trying to divide. So when you believe the gospel well, even though you want to be divided, you won't be able to be divided because of the good news of the gospel of peace because you're reflecting on the sort of unity that God has given you, the sort of unity that God has brought about. So we need to put on shoes that bring the gospel of peace to battle, spiritual warfare. Um, The next thing that that Paul says to take up is the shield of faith. He says, pick up the shield and it will extinguish the darts, the evil flaming darts of the evil one. And so faith is, for us, faith is the foundation of our relationship with the Lord. Maybe I'm saying that wrong, maybe that's not quite right, but I think faith is the foundation of our relationship with the Lord because it's, it's our trust and our knowledge of him that he's real. God works in our life to help, to, to give us faith, but then I think we also have this active participation in, in growing in our faith. And I don't mean growing in our willpower like sometimes people use that, but I just mean to deepen the trust you have of God, to deepen the knowledge you have of God, to deepen the relationship that you have with God. In, in any human relationship, it, it should grow uh, in trust of one another, and I think the same is true with us and God, right? When I first started dating my wife, I didn't trust her as much as I trust her now, because we've, we've deepened that part of our relationship. Some of you go, well, it's the reverse for me, Anthony. I, I trust my wife less, and I would say, come to our marriage conference, Um but this, So I think when we pick up the shield of faith, we're looking for ways to deepen our trust in God, to, to grow in our knowledge of him. And I think a deeper faith really combats all sorts of things that Satan does. But in particular, I think it combats the deception and it, it, it combats temptation because we know that we're anchored in God. That we know that those things are not as good as who God is. Okay, uh, a couple more. The helmet of salvation is what Paul tells us to put on. One time, uh, I wanted to go to Five Guys with my friend, and we didn't have a vehicle, but he had a motorcycle. And so we got on this motorcycle together, and he didn't have a helmet for me. And I was terrified the whole time. The whole time, I was anxious. The whole time, I thought, "Ah, this is it. I'm going to pop off this thing. My head's going to explode on the ground. It's going to be sad. Um, Closed casket funeral. And so um, that was bad. I shouldn't have said that. Um, Spiritual warfare. And so... um, And so I felt just horrible. But I think if we're honest, how I felt on that motorcycle without a helmet is how a lot of us just feel walking through life. That we just feel anxious, we feel fearful, we think things are going to hurt us, we think everything is going to go bad. And I think sometimes that is spiritual warfare being waged against you. And so the helmet of salvation helps in that. When, in particular, when it is spiritual warfare, because when you have the helmet of salvation, not only does a helmet help you feel safe in like, all cultures and times and places, but sal- our salvation, what it does for us, it helps us to know that we are saved no matter what. Anything could happen to us, but we're saved. God has got us. Even if Satan does some Job kind of stuff to us, we're okay because one day God is going to come back and he is going to renew all things and fully secure our salvation and he's going to beat up Satan, right? Like, so it is important for us to remember that we're saved because when the sorts of spiritual warfare that just shake our faith or make us feel anxious in life, we will feel secure in the most dire of situations. Have you ever met those brothers and sisters in Christ where they're just going through The worst but they're secure. They're not happy about what they're going through. They're even crying and, and, and sad about it, but they're secure because I think they reflect on Christ's salvation for them every day. It's important for us to battle spiritual warfare. The last thing that Paul mentions is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, or even that word there means message of God. And so Paul says, hey, knowing God's word is gonna help you battle against spiritual warfare. I, uh, there seems to be kind of this uh, attack, on, uh, not on the Bible, but where people go, well, you can't really believe that thing. There's all these kinds of wrong stuff with that. And, and, and then they still want to believe in Jesus, which is great. But the only thing is, is Jesus believed in the word of God. Jesus used the Bible because it was his words. So when Satan went to tempt Jesus, Jesus just didn't say, Satan, guess what, buddy? Give me a few thousand years. I'm coming back to get you. Like he could have said that. But instead, every time Satan tempted Jesus, he quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. He knew the word. That's how he, combat, how he combated against Satan in the desert. Christians, we need to know the word of God. We just do. It is the only attacking piece that Paul mentions. It's the only thing that actually attacks and isn't just some sort of defensive thing. Knowing the word of God fights against, I think, all sorts of spiritual warfare. You can't be deceived by Satan if you know who God really is revealed in his word. You can't be tempted by Satan if you know that God's word says that he's better than anything this earth or Satan can offer you. You can't be oppressed for long by saying, when you understand that the spirit of Jesus lives in us and Jesus has authority over all things, so even if you are being oppressed or hurt, one day you won't be, or even in the meantime, God might give you access to that authority to to bind those things and push those things out of your life. You can't be accused if you know God's word declares you a rightful heir and son uh, or daughter of his kingdom. And you can't be divided if you remember how God says he's a God of unity who has brought you into union with him. So friends, we should put on the word of God. We should use the word of God. We should know the word of God. It is God's words to us, and it gives us so much life, and it also coincidentally helps us to battle against Satan and his minions. I think what's amazing about all this, that's all the armor, I think what's amazing about all of this, though, is that Jesus himself, he underwent spiritual warfare so that you and I one day won't have to. That's what Jesus did, right? He came to this earth, and he allowed himself to be tempted and tried so one day our hearts could not be tempted ever again. Jesus allowed himself to be, I think, spiritually oppressed by Satan, especially when you see that it says that the devil entered Judas, And then right after that is when Jesus gets arrested and beat and all these things, that, that, that Jesus allowed himself to be spiritually oppressed so that you and I won't have to experience pain or death ever again. Jesus lived perfectly so that he could give us his righteousness so that we could stand righteous before God. Jesus raised from the dead to show us that darkness doesn't win that Satan doesn't win, that he is more powerful than this present darkness, as Paul termed it, and that he is coming one day again to raise us all. So let's be aware that spiritual warfare exists, but let's not be afraid of it. Jesus has given us his armor. The Holy Spirit lives in us, but we also have an active part in combating against it using these sorts of tools. These sorts of things that Paul mentions as the armor of God. Let's praise that God who fights our battles for us. Will you guys pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is the sword of the spirit. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for redeeming every aspect of your creation. God, you're not just saving us, but you're combating against Satan and his minions on our behalf. And one day you will right every wrong and you will take care of Satan and all of his demons so that we don't have to experience spiritual warfare again. God, just help us to be in awe of you in the midst of this. Help us too, God. I want to pray for any in the room that this stuff really freaks them out. Or maybe they feel particularly attacked by Satan and his minions right now. First, God, when I want to pray, in your name, Jesus, any sort of attack that I mentioned today happening to anyone in this room, God, I ask that, honestly, God, cast it out of here, bind it, and don't let it back on any of the people here. But then, too, God, if, if Satan is causing us to fear too much, help us to put on the helmet of salvation and know that we're safe. God, we we love you, and we need you, and we're thankful for you. Amen.